Our Old Testament scripture passage this evening is Isaiah chapter 49, the first seven verses. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 1138. Lord, may you bless the reading and preaching of your word this night. In Christ's name, amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with God. And now the Lord says, He who formed you in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, or bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. New Testament scripture passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22, Pew Bible, page 1,819. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our Lord stands forever. 
We're also going to be looking at Belgic Confession, Article 27. We found on the back of your green Psalter hymnals on page 82. Article 27 is entitled, The Catholic Christian Church. There we read, we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths one Catholic or universal church, which is a holy congregation of true Christian believers, all expecting their salvation in Jesus Christ, being washed by his blood, sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. This church has been from the beginning of the world and will be to the end thereof, which is evident from this, that Christ is an eternal king, which without subjects he cannot be. And this holy church is preserved or supported by God against the rage of the whole world, though it sometimes for a while appears very small, and in the eyes of men to be reduced to nothing, as during the perilous reign of Ahab the Lord reserved unto him 7,000 men who had not bowed their knees to Baal. Furthermore, this holy church is not confined, bound, or limited to a certain place or to certain persons, but is spread and dispersed over the whole world, and yet is joined and united with heart and will by the power of faith in one and the same spirit. And that's the teaching of our confession tonight. Very nice. New board. Yes, it is. You are keen. You are a keen observer. So tonight, as we discuss the scriptures and as we discuss Article 27 of the Belgian Confession of Faith, I want us to keep in mind the distinction between invisible and visible. Um, as I thought about the distinction between invisible and, in, and visible, I thought about one of my favorite superhero movies from back in the early 2000s. And it was about a, a ragtag, ragtag group of uh, unlikely superheroes. And uh, one of the superheroes' superpower was that he could turn invisible, but only when people aren't looking at it. Now, in the movie, you find out he actually can turn invisible because he has to turn invisible in order to pass this security thing, and everybody turns around, doesn't look at him, and he's able to do it. Um, but invisible, visible, what's the purpose here? Well, Article 27 is about the invisible church. The invisible church is about all of the uh, believers who are united by the Spirit. Uh, visible churches, an example would be Cottage Grove. We're an outward expression of the invisible church, but no church is perfect in this. No church can say that every single one of their members, without a doubt, 100%, is part of the invisible church, has the same spirit. Uh, we do our best to, to do that, but we, 
We are not God. We do not see the hearts of people. Uh, and so Article 27 is talking about a reality that we can't fully see right now, but we know is true because it's what's been purchased by Christ. And we have to understand that what Article 27 is talking about, why Guido Debris is, is writing this, is because when he wrote the Belgic Confession, it was a very tumultuous time in the midst of uh, the church. Because at this point, uh, the visible church and in the invisible church, there was no distinction. Either you were part of the Roman Catholic Church or you were not a believer. You understand that, right? And and even in the Catholic Church today, they're the true church. Anybody who does not belong to them is not a Christian. That's their teaching. That may not be what every single one who is a Catholic believes. And so Guido de Brie is making a defense that these reformers, uh, these people who have broken off from the Catholic Church, are still indeed part of the Catholic universal, blood-bought, spirit-wrought uh, Church of Jesus Christ. So, let's keep that in mind as we talk tonight, because what Guido Debris is talking about is the invisible reality of the church, okay? So our theme tonight basically is just those first words of um, the church <coughs> purchased by the blood of Christ. is one holy Catholic Christian congregation. Now you can just see my bad handwriting better. We have four points tonight. The attributes of this church. The existence of this church. The preservation of this church. And the dispersion of this church. Let's start with this first point, the attributes. Um, now, it's kind of difficult to pick uh, scripture passages um, that have to do with this very, very broad topic. Um, so as we look at these other points, I will try to pull in a number of scripture passages to help uh, clarify these things. Um, because the two scripture passages that I talk about have mainly to do with uh, the last point of our uh, text the dispersion of, of, the, of the church. So, the attributes of the church. Article 27 begins with these words. We believe and profess one Catholic or universal church, which is a holy congregation of true Christian believers, all expecting their salvation in Jesus Christ, being washed by his blood, sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, and so, a number of attributes that we can point to in this is one, holy, Catholic, Christian, and I'm going to add one since it has to do with the uh, Nicene Creed that we confess tonight, um, and one, okay? So let's talk about these. Uh, when we say that the church is a holy church, uh, we're not saying that uh, we're holy and that's why Christ chose us. We're saying what uh, the Belgic Confession says, that we've been washed by his blood, sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about the relationship between husband and wife. And one of the things that it tells us there is that husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's um, Ephesians 5. Verses 25 through 27. That's what we're talking about when we say holy. Holy means to be set apart. And this has been done by Jesus Christ. He went to the cross. He died on the cross. Uh, He purchased his bride. And uh, through that purchase, through his blood, uh, we've been washed. And this is, of course, a reality in the sense of justification. You are now... um, washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, no longer condemned under sin, but it's also a process um, by sanctification. And this is something that we do individually as Christians, that the whole body of Christ, united believers by the Spirit, experience as well together as the body of Christ. We are being purified, sanctified, uh, growing in our holiness by the working of the Holy Spirit within us. Uh, When we say Catholic... Um, we, we mean it little c, right? Catholic little c means universal. Now, the universality of the church is that um, it's not tied to one particular denomination. It's not tied to one particular ethnicity. It's not tied to one particular nation. Um, it is uh, universal. In the sense, it has no bounds. Um, and I could say that our, our scripture passages that I chose for us for our reading, Isaiah 49 and Ephesians 2, talk to that. They talk to that idea of the Gentiles, the nations being brought in. It's the universality of the church. And this is something um, that um, cannot be denied. And it's interesting. Um, the Roman Catholic Church, when you put those two things together, they... they they contradict each other. You're a Roman universal church. Don't you think Roman is kind of, you know, putting yourself in a box? So, um, I've always thought of that being weird. Um, Christian means mainly that Christ is head of this church. Um, that this church is, is Christian in the sense that it claims the name of Christ. Uh, Article 27 says, Of true Christian believers all expecting their salvation in Jesus Christ. Um, and this is important for us because we live in a day and age where drawing those sorts of lines um, is not seen as popular. 
And so you'll hear many Christian so-called ministers say that we worship the same God as the Jews, we worship the same God as the Muslims, um, it's, it's all the same. And there's an exclusivity here about uh, the, the, the universal Catholic Church, the true Catholic Church being Christian. It's Christ. Christ is the head of this church. And there we see um, Ephesians chapter 4 talking about uh, this church that Christ has purchased. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascend to mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended, higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. It is he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Even in our passage, Ephesians chapter 2, we read that Christ is the chief cornerstone. Uh, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So the, 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 uh, the Catholic Christian church is built on Christ. It's Christian. Um, apostolic does not mean that we, we trace our origins back to Peter, the first pope. And what it does mean is that we trace our teaching, our core beliefs, back to the teaching of the apostles. And so when we confess the Apostles' Creed, um, that, uh, that name is sort of given to it after the fact. It's not the statement that this has been written by the apostles, but it's our earliest church formation of those core Christian beliefs uh, that unite us all in this Catholic church, universal church. So um, in our uh, scripture passage reading this morning in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So uh, when we say apostolic, we are not saying it in the sense of we trace our lineage, uh, our papal lineage, all the way back to Peter, the Pope. Um, no, we don't have that view of it. We, we believe that we're apostolic in the sense that we continue the teaching of the apostles. Um, I saw a quote today by Thomas Watson that says, the only thing that the Pope and Peter share is their denial of Christ. So... No, no, uh, uh, yeah, that was harsh. <laughs> but that's Thomas Watson for you. And then one means that there is unity here. Um, this is a unity of the invisible church. Now, one of the criticism, criticisms that you'll often hear about the Reformation and what has followed suit is that there is now something like 30,000 uh, Protestant denominations in the world. Um, 
And a lot of times Catholic apologists will use this to say, see, we're the really unified church. Now, despite the fact that there are a number, a variety of expressions of Roman Catholics, um, the, uh, the statement that there is somehow 30,000 uh, denominations doesn't deal with the fact that uh, a lot of these largely agree on the core, essential, important issues. Um, is it sad that we live in a world that is broken and fallen and that some people believe that we should start a new de denomination because some people in our denomination think that the return of Christ is premillennial and some people believe that it's amillennial? Um, um, yeah, that's sad. It's a reality of living in a fallen and broken world. But the breaking up of the visible church into the Christian Reformed Church and the Protestant Reformed Church and whatever it may be, all these denominations that we can even trace back into our history, the fact that the Christian Reformed Church even began is because uh, many people broke off from the Dutch Reformed Church back in the Netherlands and decided to come to the States um, for religious freedom. So there's all those kinds of realities, right? But that does not take away the fact that in the spiritual reality, in the blood-bought, purchased by Jesus Christ, in the sharing of the same Holy Spirit, in one baptism, in one faith, that this oneness cannot be broken. And what we can't see very easily now, we will see beautifully and fully when that day comes when all of the saints are gathered and we won't say oh there's a Baptist or oh there's a Pentecost we won't be saying that we'll just say look you're in a white robe and I'm in a white robe and that's Jesus our Savior so I just want to go ahead and give that warning out there if any of you would be shocked to find Baptists or Pentecostals in heaven here's the reality Christ purchased his church and that goes beyond our denominational boundaries. Um, and I think one of, the, uh, one of the beauties of the Christian Reformed Church is that we have both the creeds, that statement of unity, right? Um, so many churches, historical churches, um, confess the Apostles' Creed in the Nicene Creed. But we also have those statements that dis describe our distinctives, like the Belgic Confession of Faith. And the Belgic Confession of Faith is saying, yes, this oneness, this unity is undeniable. So. Let's go to the second point here then. The existence of the church. And the second thing that Article 27 says is this church has been from the beginning of the world and will be to the end of the world. From beginning to the end. I almost, um, I almost named this point the eternality of the church, but I didn't think that was right because the church actually does have a beginning. Um, it hasn't always existed. But in terms of within history, the statement that Article 27 is making 
is from Adam and Eve through to the present. Um, this church has always existed. Uh, now you need to understand that part of what Article 27 is saying here is a polemic because of the, um, the statement from the Roman Catholic Church at the time that Guido Debris is reading this is that they are the only one true Catholic Church and that they have an origin, a beginning that is not found all the way back in Adam and Eve's day, but at the moment when Christ says to Peter, you are the rock. And on this rock I shall build my church. Uh, the Heidelberg Catechism speaks of this same way when it, when it speaks of the gospel. Right? Now, the gospel is preached in the garden. And this is talking about Genesis, Genesis 3.16. And the gospel is preached today. Um... The church has been from the beginning of the world. Adam and Eve constituted that first uh, part of the church, the seat of the church. And um, it has grown from then and it has taken on different variety of, of expressions. Uh, but it's always been from the beginning of the world. And the, the evidence that Article 27 states to make its argument is this. Uh, that Christ has always been king. And that a king cannot be king without subjects. So since Christ has always been king, and since, since the beginning of the creation of the world, there's been a church which Christ has been king over. Um, and that begins with Adam and Eve in the garden, and goes all the way through to Noah and his family, to Abraham and his family and his 12 sons, to the tribes of Israel, and even expressions outside of that. We talked about Melchizedek this morning. Melchizedek is part of the church. You can read the book of Job. Job was part of the church. He's outside of Israel. You hear little stories and glimpses with, uh, with Rahab, the prostitute, and Ruth, the Moabite. And uh, you, you see all these glimpses of the fact that this church is meant to be worldwide, universal, not, not, uh, not tied to one particular nation, but largely for Old Testament history. This is um, called uh, Israel, the congregation, uh, the assembly, uh, these people, and then Christ comes. And this gospel, this church, spreads throughout the world. So the existence of the church has been from the beginning of the world and will be to the end of the world, which is evident from this that Christ is an eternal king, which without subjects he cannot be. And so we move on. To the third point. The preservation of the church. Um, the church is one foundation. The song that we sang, I think, is a great example of an expression in song form of the trials and the turmoil that the church goes through and that God brings us through. Um, Guido Debris himself would um, would be killed for his convictions and his beliefs. Um, in fact, he wrote 
When he sent this Belgic confession, I feel like it's important that I read this because um, he sent a copy to King Philip II with an address in which the petitioners declared that they were ready to obey the government in all lawful things, but that they would offer their backs to the stripes, their tongues to knives, their mouths to gags, and their whole bodies to the fire rather than deny the truth expressed in this confession. In the year 1567, Guido de Brie suffered the kind of martyr's death he had described. And so when he writes in Article 27, this holy church is preserved or supported by God against the rage of the whole world, though it sometimes for a while appears very small, and in the eyes of men to be reduced to nothing. Um, it means something. Uh, so, what does it mean to be preserved? It means to be um, kept. It means to be uh, pickled, jarred. That's Jared. How do you say jarred? Is two R's? Thank you. That it means to be Jared. Any Jared here tonight? Kept, pickled, jarred. Preserved. The promise that we have from Christ in that same passage um, that uh, he speaks to Peter is that the gates of Hades will not stand against. You can see it as um, a military marching forward statement, because it is. It means the gates of Hades will not be able to stand against the, the forward offensive um, pushing forward of, of the church. Uh, but you can also see it as a preservation statement that, that the world, Hades, Satan himself, and all the things that this world could possibly throw at the church will not prevail against the church. At this time in church history, there was so much turmoil. There was so much confusion about what the gospel was and if there really was a church. Through the Middle Ages, there was darkness and, and, and people wondered if the, if the church was lost. And Article 27, we profess to believe that whatever we may see, this holy church is preserved, supported by God against the rage of the whole world, though it sometimes for a while appears very small, and in the eyes of men to be reduced to nothing. And he gives a biblical example. Uh, during the perilous reign of Ahab, Elijah was so distraught that there was nobody faithful in all of Israel, that he was the only one, Lord alone, it is me, why don't you just kill me and be done with it? And the Lord came to him and said, I've reserved 7,000 men who have not bowed their knees to Baal. See, the truth of the matter is uh, the, the history of, of the church is so many ups and downs. And uh, we've experienced a tremendous amount of, of blessing um, to be a part of this church age. Part of the expansion of the kingdom of God through, through mission works here and there. 
And, and a lot of that turmoil and that, uh, that hurt and that pain has not been felt in America for some time because we've had the, the freedom and the liberty to express our faith and, and worship uh, without fear of persecution. And, and, we, and we, should, uh, we should be very thankful for that blessing. The truth of the matter is, a time may be coming in the future um, where we have to stand on these kinds of truths like Yudah Debris did and said, we are willing to offer our backs to whips, our tongues to knives, our bodies to the flame rather than deny this. It seems more and more that here in America, we, we don't have the cultural influence that we once had. There's a turning away from the things of, of God to the things of this world. There's a, a rising chaos and confusion and unrest. I mean, a, 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 a pandemic came through, and we don't even know it now, but I would not be surprised to find out thousands and thousands and thousands of churches don't exist anymore. They're gone. There may be a time in the future in America where we might be thinking like Elijah during the reign of Ahab. God, am I the only one? We have these beautiful promises from God's word, from Christ himself, that the church will prevail, that it will never be snuffed out, that Satan has been bound and can no longer deceive the nations, that the gospel will be victorious. We have this promise that the church is preserved and supported by God even against the rage of the whole world. And one of my favorite passages when we think about this is to read Psalm 2, that promise that God gives to his son. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his Messiah, his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. I mean, is that not the day that we are living in? And listen to what verse 4 says. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord laughs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance the ends of the earth, your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. You see, the Bible says the meek shall inherit the earth. That the world really belongs to Christ's church. 
And that the people who are living here now are just renting. And even if they mock God, God shall not be mocked. Christ has promised to preserve and keep his church, even against the rages of the world. Let's look at this final point tonight. The dispersion of the church. The last thing that Article 28 says is that this holy church is not confined or bound or limited to a certain place or certain persons. That no person of whatsoever state or condition... Oh, sorry, I, I went on to Article 28. That's for next week. Uh, but is spread and dispersed over the whole world, yet is joined and united with the heart and will by the power of faith and one and the same spirit. It's uh, over the whole world. Isaiah chapter 49 talks about God's calling to his, um, his servant. And that servant prophetically becomes and is revealed to be Jesus Christ. And in Article 49, he tells his servant, It's too little a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I'll also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 talks about how the work of Christ has brought together the Jews and the Gentiles into one man, one body, broken down the wall of hostility. Uh, Psalm 2 says, ask of me and I'll give you the nations. And so um, the, the expansion of the church has gone beyond the nation of Israel out into every single ethnic background and, and national belonging. Revelation plays us out. Every people, tribe, tongue, nation standing before the throne of God. And Article 27 points out that fact. Uh, the church is not confined to a certain place. This is what Guido de Brie is talking about in his day, Rome. A second point, church is not, divine, uh, not confined to a certain persons. Um, you can say this is about Israel, the nation, uh, or you can say this is about uh, particular ethnicities. Um, the church is spread out over the whole world, all nations, all people, peoples can be part of this Catholic universal church. Um, and that's why we say believers here right now tonight who are, who are listening to this sermon um, are one in the same body of Christ 
as believers in China, even though you don't speak the same language, and believers in, in North Korea who can't even have an outward, outward and public expression of their faith for fear that they would be martyred, or believers in North Africa, or believers in South America, we are all united together in one body. United with heart and will by the power of faith. One in the same spirit. We belong to one another. And each and every one of us, the believers here, the believers all over North America, Canada, South America, the believers in Africa, the Middle East, China, Russia, Asia, Antarctica, there's probably one or two. We all make up the invisible church. We're all united together in this beautiful mosaic called the Christian church, the church purchased by the blood of Christ, one holy Catholic Christian congregation. And it is a wonder of the grace and mercy of God for us in Jesus Christ that we, if we have faith in Jesus Christ, if we have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, are united in this body. Do you, do you see that? Do you understand the importance of that? Do you see the wonder of that? That you have family you never even met yet. Think about what Christ says to his apostles, his disciples. He says, anyone who does not hate their mother, father, brother, sister, cannot be my disciple. And then what does he respond with? He says, but I tell you, you will have, if you follow me, mothers, brothers, fathers, sisters, in this life and in the life to come. He's talking about what unites us in Christ. He's saying that you've often heard the saying, blood is thicker than water. And it's true. But it's his blood. That unites us together. The church purchased by the blood of Christ is one holy Catholic Christian congregation. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this your, this your word, for the truth that in Jesus Christ we have been purchased, we have been united by one faith, one baptism, one spirit. That we have been purified, we are called holy, called out, separated, set apart. We're united in Christ, who is the head. We are Christian because we look for our salvation in Christ alone. We are one. And Lord, we pray that we would know that even though 
Um, we may experience many troubles, tribulations, and trials that you will preserve us, keep us, and bring us to that beautiful scene, the end of history, robed in white, a people from every tribe, tongue, nation, praising you, Father, in the land that was slain for all eternity. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.